been a day for me. Yeah, yeah. Welcome to the 808 Podcast presented by SportsTalkPhilly.com. I'm your host, Tim Kelly, joined as always by 94 WIP's Jack Fritz. Jack, it's been a minute, man. What's up? Nothing much, man. Everything seems like it's coming up Philadelphia. The Eagles are 8-1. We have the Cowboys tomorrow night. Uh, Joel Embiid puts up 46-15-7-7 against the Lakers, and they're going to beat the Warriors tonight. Uh, And the only team that's lacking right now is the Philadelphia Phillies. Yeah, there's going to be a lot of parades in Philadelphia over the next 10 years, and I say that not even in a joking way. Not necessarily sure if the Phillies are going to be any of those parades, but we'll see what happens. Quite a bit's happened since uh, relating to the Phillies since the last time we talked. All that obviously, though, takes a backseat, Jack, to the tragic passing of Roy Halladay. Last week, the league celebrated his life in a ceremony at Spectrum Field in Clearwater. Cole Hamels, Chase Utley, and Chris Carpenter, among others, who were all former teammates of him, spoke in a remembrance of Halliday. Charlie Manuel spoke. Roy Halliday Sr., who was his father, spoke. And then for nearly 20 minutes, Doc's wife, Brandy, spoke. Jack, what were your takeaways from the celebration of his life? It was, uh, it was really tough to watch. I mean, Halliday was my guy. You know, I mean, Halliday was a guy that, as a pitcher, I grew up admiring and was so excited when the Phillies got him, and he delivered. He's one of those athletes that, that really delivered once you gave up the, the ultimate price to get him. And, you know, I, I, I wore 34 in high school. I, I tried to change my mechanics, just like Charlie Morton, to become more like Roy Halladay. <laughs> um, Roy was my guy, man, and he was such a good dude. And I just, like, you kind of forget how awesome of a guy he was. But hearing all those stories... Like, I, I, I'm not a big cry guy. I don't really cry that often, but holy smokes, did I cry during that during that, that remembrance thing. Like, Chris Carpenter, that was super tough to watch. Like, when Chase Utley cries, I cry. Um, Charlie Manuel, I mean, I'm not sure he can read, but, but what he said was, was really important. And then Doc's wife, of course, was super hard to get through. So um, it was beautiful to see how much, how much he touched people's lives. And it was just a really, really crazy week of, of holiday stuff. Yeah, I mean, I have mixed feelings on the whole event. I was going to write a piece talking about just kind of the somber feeling that the event left me with, but I really didn't want to be that guy because there were a lot of beautiful parts about it. But I said this on Twitter, and I'll say it again here. I always thought Game 5 of the 2011 NLDS was going to be the hardest thing I ever had to watch involving Roy Halladay. And now that just feels silly to me. Like, that, that was a game. Chase Utley, who... People of all ages in Philadelphia view as a superhero had to hold back tears. His wife told a bunch of great stories. Uh, they're ones that broke your heart. So, I mean, while there were those negative parts, and part of that was my takeaway of the event, in the end, I was amazed at the strength shown by everyone involved. Charlie Manuel talks about how he'll go to Holiday Sons baseball games. Uh, Roy Holiday Sr., who had to speak at his son, Roy Holiday Jr., excuse me, who had to speak at his son's public viewing, showed strength that I don't think most people, myself included, would be able to. And Brandy, that was one of the best speeches I've ever seen in any venue, in any setting ever. Forget funerals, forget public viewing, anything. It was remarkable. And even though it was about such a somber topic and she was crying and didn't end up using the papers that she brought uh, with notes, there were points in her speech that made you laugh, and she ended the speech on a positive note, talking about how, you know, this is extremely difficult, but her and her two sons are going to rally from here and keep pushing forward because that's what Doc would have wanted. 
Yeah, I mean, 2011, Game 5. And it, what, what really, uh, what I took away from a lot of what happened was that game killed Halliday as much as it killed us. Like, it, 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 he, it hurt him just as much as it hurt us, which is just you never, like, as, as, as you grow up watching sports, you want these athletes to feel the same way you feel, and rarely does that happen. But Halliday, I mean, he literally, I mean, uh, Jim Salisbury was on the morning show, and he was sa- he was talking to Halliday after that game, or, or, or I think like a year or two um, ago, and he and Jim asked him, "Did you leave a piece of yourself on that field?" And Halliday said, "Yes, he left all that he had on that field, and and ever since that game, he just wasn't the same kind of pitcher, and and that game really." Was was the end of an era. Um, the game of Game Five, two thousand eleven. I never thought I'd be able to get through it as well, uh, get over it. But now, obviously, it seems like seems like such a small thing in 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 reality. Um, but yeah, no, Brandy's speech was phenomenal. Uh, she she was able to to sort of laugh through it, um, and and make you really cry and think about uh, you know hugging your kids at night if you have kids and, and all of that. So. It was a really, really beautiful ceremony, and I'm just thank God like MLB Network uh, showed it. I thought that was really cool. It was really important to remember a guy like Halliday. Yeah, no, it, it certainly was. And you talked about Game Five of the 2011 NLDS, and I don't want to make this about that, but one of the stories Chris Carpenter told, which was something at least I had never heard before, was even after that game, even after a game where he he labored through eight innings in that game, he threw over 30 pitches in the first inning, gave up the leadoff triple to Raphael for call. And then, as you said, he left a piece of himself on that field. While he was still in the locker room uh, at, or in the clubhouse at his locker, he texted Chris Carpenter, who was his good friend, was a teammate in Toronto. They later went on a, a vacation that summer, that winter, excuse me. He texted him congratulating him. And I, I think that that's one of the great stories I'll remember about Roy Holiday. He's certainly going to be someone that is missed and honored throughout next season. There probably hasn't been a bigger lock ever than him going on to the Wall of Fame next summer. Now, speaking of next season, Jack, the GM meetings just concluded in Orlando, and we are just under a month away from the MLB winter meetings. What we learned first, Jack, is that the Phillies are apparently interested in first baseman, which came out of uh, nowhere, really. John Heyman of FanRag Sports reported during the week that the Phillies were among a bunch of teams interested in Carlos Santana. Uh, Jack, I think in some senses this actually does make total sense but for the most part, it puzzles me. Yeah, I was uh, I was shocked when I saw the saw the report. I, it didn't. It felt like it sort of felt like uh, two years ago when the Sixers were like showing interest in Manny Ginobili and offering him a huge contract, only for him to go back to the Spurs. Um, I just don't. I I don't understand going after a first baseman. I mean, unless they really think Hoskins could play left field, which. I don't think's the case. Like at best, I think he could be like Pat Burrell out there, which isn't exactly the the best uh, the best thing in the world. Uh, I'd rather just stick Hoskins at first base and let your outfield be Altair, Herrera, and, and Williams. If this is the case, and they think Santana could be their first baseman, Hoskins could be their left fielder. That's gotta mean that they're gonna move one of those young outfielders because it's not like Aaron Altair is a fourth outfielder or Nick Williams is a fourth outfielder. I could see them maybe moving on from Dubal Herrera, but like. You're you're kind of selling low on him as well. I, I I don't really get the whole interest in a first baseman thing, especially with Reese Hoskins. Uh, you know, it's not like Carlos Santana is some like unbelievable, um, you know, locker room changing veteran guy. Like he's still young enough to where he can he can be an impact player. I I I was I was uh, very confused when I saw that. 
I mean, he is a great clubhouse guy. He's kind of got that reputation. He kind of took over for Victor Martinez there in Cleveland in that type of role. I, I'll get after this, I'll get to my thoughts on why it doesn't make sense. But here is me attempting to rationalize this. He hasn't caught since 2014, so he's not going to catch. Nope. However, you have two really talented young catchers on this team in Jorge Alfaro and uh, Andrew Knapp. And side note, I'm assuming one way or another, Cameron Rupp is not on this team next year. Uh, but you have two really talented catchers here. And there have been various reports in the last year that the Phillies are interested in having some sort of veteran catcher to mentor both of them, Alfaro probably particularly because he still needs work uh, as a, re- receiving the ball. Santana does not catch anymore, but if he's in the locker or in the clubhouse, it's not as though he's forgotten everything he learned from catching and couldn't lend some valuable insight to them. And by having someone like him on the team but not as a catcher, you can keep the two young catchers, but still kind of have that veteran presence. Yeah, but it's just not like he's some. Un- he wasn't like an unbelievable catcher. He wasn't like a Gold Glove guy. If you need, a, if you need a veteran guy, I mean, just go get Carlos Ruiz. Like, <laughs> just let him come back and teach these guys. Slash, be like a little bit of a coach. I, I understand the whole the whole catching thing and and, and whatnot. I think they might bring in a veteran guy. I was listening to uh, John Johnson here today, and he thinks that that Alfaro is only going to catch like. 65% of games next year. He's not going to he's not going to he's going to get the majority, but it's not going to be an overwhelming majority because they don't think he's he's really ready, which is kind of disappointing. I mean, I think his receiving is pretty good like from from a from a framing standpoint, it's definitely better than like Cam Rupps who kind of just sta- stabs at the ball. Oh well, yeah. Yeah, I mean Cam Rupps <laughs> just an abomination behind the plate. Uh the the blocking's definitely a little bit of a problem and I understand pitch calling. So like I think bringing back Chooch, it sounds so like stupid and and sports talk radioy and why isn't Dawkins the head coach of this team? <laughs> but like, I mean, Chooch makes sense in, in a in a coach on the field kind of thing. You don't have to play him all the time. He barely played for the Mariners last year. If you want to just bring him in and, and let him be a guy that can help mold these guys, I mean, why not Chooch? I would rather I'd rather way way cheaper contract for Chooch than like a big deal for Carlos Santana to 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 not maximize this whole positional thing with with Reese Hoskins. So yeah, I I I really don't I, I understand the catching part of it. But I don't think Carlos Santana is like was like a game changing catcher guy. So I would rather go the cheaper route. I mean, I'm torn on that because on one hand, I get the veteran presence having that Carlos Ruiz, AJ Ellis type uh, third guy. But on the other hand, it's essentially dead weight in terms of what you're actually getting from them as an individual player, and that's not what you would necessarily. Carlos Santana, even if it pushes Reese Hoskins outfield, like it, there's some sort of productivity you're getting from that person beyond just the presence that they're uh, giving in the clubhouse. Now, on the other hand, Carlos Santana specifically, he has a qualifying offer attached to him, and Track predicts he's going to make $18 million per season. You're not paying him $18 million to play a few times a week. So you would be pushing Reese Hoskins to the outfield pretty much every day. And then either one of Nick Williams or Aaron Altair, and I actually think it might be Nick Williams. I'm not sure uh, the Phillies front office is as high on Nick Williams as other people are. I know he played more right field uh, once Hoskins was up last year than Altair did. A lot of times they'd have Altair in left field. But Altair walks a little bit more. He's a better fielder, I think. Nick Williams is versatile, but he didn't grade out especially well fielding-wise. And I know regardless of how people feel about that, the front office values that. He also doesn't walk a ton, and the front office values that. Beyond that, though, 
I'm not necessarily opposed to the idea of Nick Williams being a fourth outfielder. In fact, that may be what he is on a really good team, but I don't think it would be a good idea to move Hoskins to the outfield. So let's excuse the fact that he's not a good fourth outfielder. These were Reese Hoskins splits by position last year, and I don't think this is a coincidence, as some have suggested. In 94 bats as a left fielder, he slashed 213, 359, 585 with a 944 OPS. He did fill it for power, but he had 213. And 76 at bats at first base, and both of these are small sample sizes. He has 316, 442, 658 with an OPS over 1,000. I think you leave Reese Hoskins at first base. And I'm just kind of cool with them going into next season with a, with a lineup of Hoskins at first, Kingery at second, uh, Crawford at third, or short, shortstop, uh, Franco at third, left field Altair, center field Herrera, right field Williams. And I'm just cool with that. I'd, I'd rather take a shot and see what that turns into than dumping $18 million into Carlos Santana, who I don't think is like phenomenal. Like I think he's a fine player. I don't think he's a game-changing talent. I'd rather just save that money for the year after when you need that money. Not, you, know, not, you have all the money in the world, but you're going to need that money eventually. And I don't think mm. Carlos Santana is the guy you really invest big money into, especially when you have that lineup. Just go and see what that can do. And then a year from now, reevaluate it. I'm with you on Nick Williams. I don't love Nick Williams. He His swing does remind me a bit of Dom. Don Brown, but I don't think he's obviously as bad as Don, as Don Brown is. Um, I wouldn't be opposed to moving him for a controllable starter or in a deal for a controllable starter. I'm really cool with either him or Herrera being in, in a deal for, for a good, solid pitcher that can eat innings in this team, uh, like a Chris Archer type or Garrett Cole or whatever. Um, I, I, I'm not, I would rather move Williams than Herrera, obviously, because Herrera is a better player, but I don't think, I, I, I'm not opposed to moving on from Nick Williams and, and bringing someone else in here. Yeah, I mean, as you mentioned, I think Oduble Herrera's value is miles trade-wise around the league, especially given that he's uh, extended long-term on a team-friendly contract better than what Nick Williams is. Yes. Uh, Nick Williams, uh, Jack, I mean, as far as what the Phillies should do this offseason, this actually transitions us perfectly to the next topic. Jeff Passan of Yahoo reported in July that the team checked in on controllable starters. We didn't hear anything specifically on that this week, but that doesn't necessarily mean it didn't happen. Uh, an, anonymous, an anonymous executive spoke to Mark Feinstein of MLB.com during the GM meetings and predicted that the Phillies will make a big move this offseason. I think the way to do that would be making a major trade, and I don't think – to. I don't like to say anyone is completely untouchable, but unless you're uh, trading for Clayton Kershaw, Sixto Sanchez, for all intents and purposes, is off the uh, any trade discussions for me. But, Jack, you saw Franklin Kilome, you saw Adonis Medea, you saw Ranger Suarez, JoJo Romero, Kevin Gowdy go down the list. They have a ton of organizational outfield depth, as you alluded to, not only at the major league level, but in the minor league. So, Jack, I think the way to do this is not to trade for a controllable outfielder, which we'll get to at some point. It's to trade for a controllable starting pitcher, uh, one of the names you mentioned. Yeah, and it seems like there 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 are a good amount of guys available. Uh, at least according, I mean, so, some of the things I've seen. You know, Chris Archer's supposedly out there. I would keep Sixto pretty much off the table for for anyone. And I feel like the Phillies have been in the market for a controllable starter ever since Clentax took over. I think that's one of his. His main things he's looking for. Um, yeah, I would. Uh, I would definitely try to find 
a, a, a good deal for a controllable starter. And also, I would try to make a move to to find a, a diamond in the rough. A make your make your Jake Arrieta trade. Like try take a shot on 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 some of these really talented guys who just haven't been able to figure it out elsewhere. Like uh, the the one trade proposal I saw the other day was for Danny Salazar of the Cleveland Indians, who is supremely talented, but has been hurt every year. I thought during the trade deadline last year they might make a play for Kevin Gosman. Like I mm-hmm. I would try to if I'm Klenzak, I'm trying to find my diamond in the rough. I'm going to try to to trade some pieces, not like super good pieces, but trade a piece or two for a guy who has all the talent in the world but just hasn't been able to figure it out elsewhere. And I think uh, Salazar and Gosman will be interesting cases in that. Yeah, I mean, I think both of those organizations might still have more of a trade value on those people than you're willing to give up. That's the unfortunate part. Yeah, I, I, I've written about this a few times now. Marcus Stroman, to me, is the number one target. Yes, I'm not sure how realistic that is, but if you can get him, I'm willing to give up pretty much anything but Sixto Sanchez to get him. And actually, Cesar Hernandez, like I, I value Cesar Hernandez quite a bit, but it's evident that Scott Kingery is going to be your long-term guy. For a team that doesn't want to completely tear it down, Cesar Hernandez is under team control for a bunch of years. I'm not saying he's your number two guy in a trade, but you can start to build a trade package with the pitching, with some of the outfielding, with Cesar Hernandez, those type of guys. Now, if you can't get Stroman, I'd be fine with Archer or Cole. Archer at 29 is maybe a year or two older than you'd hope for, but he's also locked up through 2021 at a criminally low rate, and he's 29, not 33. So, Archer to me actually might be the best fit for the Phillies. Yeah, I can't believe he's twenty nine. <laughs> like, like when did when did he turn twenty nine? Um, he, he he literally had five birthdays in one year. Um yeah, I, I'm not the biggest like I think Archer I think people severely overrate Chris Archer. I'm not I don't think he's as dominant as people try to make him out to be. And Cole's kind of in the same situation, but I think Cole's upside is way, way higher than than that of, of Chris Archer. One of the teams that I've seen involved with Cesar Hernandez is the Los Angeles Angels. Maybe if you could work out a deal with Cesar Hernandez and some pitching prospect for Garrett Richards and take a shot on that guy because that guy is absolutely phenomenal. Now, I know the upside is like ace-ace and Cy Young Award winner, so probably the Angels would not want to do that, but that could be some sort of deal. I mean, I saw the Angels are interested in Cesar Hernandez, and they have a second-base hole. Um Maybe there's something there. Maybe like a Tyler. They have a bunch of guys who like are super talented but are always hurt. They have like Garrett Richards, Tyler Skaggs, and Andrew Heaney, which I would take a shot on all three of them in a Cesar Hernandez deal. Um, but yeah, there, there, there's definitely going to. I think they're, they're going to make some move for a legit starting one to put next to Aaron Nola because last year it was just embarrassing that rotation in September. It was it was Ben Lively and 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 that crew like that just it's just so boring to see every night. Yeah, I mean, my gut feeling is that Cesar Hernandez is going to be on the Phillies in 2018 because I think Scott Kingery is going to start the season at AAA so they can manipulate his service time and get an extra year out of him, which I'm completely on board for. I think they're willing to move Cesar Hernandez, but I think for the right price, they're willing to move Cesar Hernandez last offseason. The reality is Cesar Hernandez is a really, really good leadoff hitter. He hits a lot. He fields his position well. He's cheap. If you get the right thing for him, I'm certainly for moving him. But I think there's part of Matt Klintak that thinks if we don't get the right thing for him, we make it work with him at second base, we make it work with him at third base, we may even try him in the outfield again because he hits, he walks, he's cheap. 
Uh, that's kind of my feeling. Speaking of the outfield, throughout the summer, we uh, discussed why we didn't think John Carlos Stanton was a good fit for the Phillies. He did, of course, explode in the second half of the summer. I think a lot of people think that because he did that, that changes things. To me, though, it doesn't. Um, for as great of an offensive season as Stanton had in 2017, it came after two injury-riddled seasons, and players who have injuries in their 20s, even if some of them were more freak injuries, they don't tend to get healthier as they age. Not to mention power doesn't normally age especially well either, and advanced metrics suggest that he's declined as a fielder over the past few seasons, which definitely matters when you're paying someone to be a five-tool player. Additionally, Stanton is owed $295 million for the 2028 season when he will be 38 years old. The Marlins could pay down some of that salary in a trade, but that would mean to me that they're looking for a larger return in terms of prospects. He can also opt out after 2020, which if he's playing at even a little bit of a competent level, I think he does because by that point, Machado and Harper have gotten paid. Trout will either be a free agent or have gotten a new contract, whether it's in Anaheim or elsewhere. So, he's going to be able to be in a position to get paid on the wrong side of 30 and either you do it and you're paying him on the wrong side of 30 or you don't do it and you gave up a ton and probably didn't even get to see him long-term with your core that you think can win. Or if he doesn't opt out, that means he's really declined and you're stuck with him through 2028 on a backloaded contract. Yeah, I, I, I am not interested in, in Giancarlo. And like everyone's like, oh my God, well, he'd hit like 70 homers here. That's not true. <laughs> like, like it's just not, he would, he would hit, he would probably hit, you know, between 50 and 60. But let's just all calm, calm down, Giancarlo Stan. I, I would much rather give up a, probably a lesser package for like a Christian Yelich type. And in my gut, like in my gut, I think they're going to make a play for Yelich. I just, it's just weird thing that they, it seems like he is Clentac's white whale. And it just every single year they seem to be linked to him. They seem to be linked to Yelich and a controllable starter. And I think Clentac's going to make a play for one, if not both of them, this offseason because Yelich is just like the perfect fit here. Yeah, I mean, Roy Holiday was linked to the Phillies for years before Ruben Amaro was finally able to land him, but he did that. And Christian Yelich, by all accounts, every national article you see written says, yeah, they checked in on Sam, but they really like Christian Yelich. Now, I know you and I think Yelich would be a better fit, and I don't think there's really any debate about that. Uh, and considering he's only 26 next month and he signed at a team-friendly rate through 2022, really team-friendly rate, uh, that might make some sense. Of course, though, since he's younger and cheaper than Stan, I think the Marlins are, A, less inclined to move him, and, B, it's going to take an even larger package to acquire him if they are willing to move him. And to me, with Nick Williams, Odulo Herrera, Aaron Altair, Mickey Moniak, Adam Hazley, among others, giving the Phillies strong organizational outfield depth, to me it's just fair to wonder whether, whether making one of these gigantic trades, which probably will involve giving up some of your pitchers, does that make sense for an outfielder when you really don't need an outfielder? Well, I, here's the thing: is that I think that that at their peaks, Mickey Moniak and Adam Hazley are Christian Yelich. So I would take a shot on going and getting Christian Yelich. And if it, if it means giving up uh, Herrera, Nick Williams, I mean, if it means giving up any of those guys, I'm cool with it because I think I think Yelich is the best one out of all of those guys. And I think if you can move one of them and then maybe another infield prospect and a pitching prospect. Like it doesn't I don't think it sends you back and it allows you to keep at least four out of five of those guys. So 
I think I just think Yelich is a guy who's only going to get better. Like at their peaks, I think Moniak and Hazley are Christian Yelich, and I think that's their ceiling. So why not go get the guy that you're hoping these guys turn out to be? Because I'd rather have those two guys. If we think at their peaks they have a chance to be that good, I'd rather either have them. A, to be on the Phillies, or B, to use to go get starting pitching. Outfielders are so easy to find. The Diamondbacks traded for J.D. Martinez at the deadline for really not that much, and he hit 43 home runs this season. I mean, next offseason, you have Charlie Blackman, you have Bryce Harper. Go down the list of the outfielders you can sign without having to give up these prospects. And I guess, in theory, I'm okay with the idea of saying, look, I'm hesitant on Herrera, but Williams, Altair, uh, some of the guys in the minor league saying we have great organizational outfield depth. We're willing to give you that in a package for Yelich. The problem is to me, you're getting into a situation then where they're going to say, well, that's great. So headline the deal about we want Kilame, we want Suarez, we want these starting pitchers that you have, and you need starting pitching so badly. So that either those guys don't pitch for you or you can't use them in a deal to get Marcus Stroman, in a deal to get Chris Archer. And I just think that's more important to the team's future. Yeah, I guess I just, I just don't think that if you give up one of these guys, it's going to come back to haunt you. I think I don't think they'll, they'll all turn out to be as good as Christian Yelich is, and I, and I wouldn't uh, be hesitant to not do that deal. So, like, I just I just don't think they kill you. I, I, I'm not worried about Herrera, Williams, Altair, Moniak, Hazley coming back to kill me. Um, and I think you can still go get your Harper and Blackman next year, Harper or Blackman next year, and it and you move Yellows to a corner outfield spot, and you can, then you could have both those guys, and then that that's awesome. But I agree with you on the controllable starters market. I mean, if you're gonna move like you this, they're so they have very limited talent in their pitching. I mean, it's 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 a bunch of I mean, besides Nola, it's a bunch of Eikoffs. And even Nightcalls on the higher end of their other guys. So you need guys like Kilame, Medina, Suarez to, to to pan out. And they're probably a year away. A year at least. Yeah. So um I, it does hold you back on being able to go and get a starter. I, I agree with you there. Yeah, I mean that's probably the unfortunate thing. Like normally I'd say you know, let's just hold on to these pitchers, the young pitchers that the Phillies have at the lower level, their minor leagues. But if the Phillies seriously want to be a player for some of these free agents next offseason, I don't think you can walk into free agency with Aaron Nola and nothing else. I mean, I like Jared Eikhoff. I think he's going to bounce back. I actually think Ben Lively's fine at the back end of your rotation. Mark Leiter might even be. You need some substance, Stop. though, at the front of that rotation. I will not, I will not stand for your Mark Leiter Jr. talk. Mark Leiter Jr. is just going to eat you innings for a decade. <laughs> yeah, he's so good. <laughs> no, he he's Mark Leiter Jr. He's not at the front end of the rotation. You need to throw him out there as your number five. You need him as your long man. Mark this down. Mark Leiter is going to be on the next Phillies team that wins the World Series. Yeah, okay. I'll 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 add, I'll add uh, Cole Takes exposed. He'll be on the front of the parade float. That, that picture of Matt stares after the 2008 World Series where he's carrying the flag. That's gonna be Mark Leiter. All right, sounds good. And that's gonna do it for this edition of the 808 podcast. You can follow me on Twitter and on Facebook at Tim Kelly Sports. Jack can be found on Twitter at Jack underscore Fritz 34. We will be back throughout this offseason. Talk Gabe Kapler winter meetings, everything. So stay tuned. Check out sportstalkphilly.com. Check out Jack at the many outlets that he's with, BGN, Sport, um, Sports Radio 94 WIP. 
Check him out. Check me out. We will catch you guys next time. To close things out, there's only one way that we can send them off, Fanatic. That's to bring H back. Harry is going to serenade us with a... He did it in 93. He's going to do it again now. High hopes, Harry Callis. Time and time again this year, it looked like there was no hope. But through grit and determination and fighting spirit, this team came back. They fought back and gave us the 2007 National League East Championship. Because they had high hopes. When you are down, lift your head off the ground. There's a lot to be learned, so look around. Once there was a silly old ant. Thought he'd move a rubber tree plant. Anyone knows an ant can't move a rubber tree plant, but he had high hopes. He had high hopes. He had high apple pie in the sky. Hope so when you start to feel it low, instead of letting go, just remember that it. Whoop, there goes another rubber tree. Up there goes another rubber tree. Whoop, there goes another rubber tree plant. <laughs>